Hello, dear friend, and welcome. My name is Cynthia Alice Anderson, and I'm the owner and founder of the Experience of the Soul podcast channel. I have been so honored to be able to offer these programs several days a week, and these programs I know are inspiring, they are supporting, and they are uplifting your life's journey. I want to see that continue, and I honor you for being a part of making that happen. So for over five years, we've been able to offer these programs, and we want to continue to be able to offer them. So over the next 90 days, we are raising $9,000, and that's going to get us all the way through the end of the year. So I ask you to consider taking the time to support the channel that supports you. And again, our goal that we're asking you to be a part of is $9,000 in 90 days. And we look forward to hearing from you, friend. We're honored to support your journey. And we always are lifting you in prayer for God's highest and best in your life. Blessings on the journey, dear friend. And I look forward to seeing you very soon. Welcome to Healing Your Family Legacy, here on the Experience of the Soul podcast channel. Innovative, evidence-based recovery that helps to identify intergenerational trauma, allowing for freedom and embracement of the healing process. Today, Episode 30, Treatment for Childhood Trauma, Part 2. And now your host, Dr. Donna Bevanley. And this is Dr. Donna Bevanley helping you heal your family legacy. Welcome back. Um, last time we talked about some of the uh, guidelines for treatment of uh, childhood trauma. And we talked about the education, which is really important. Now we also talked about what, what I call debriefing. And that is that you start to understand the facts of your childhood trauma and your childhood and probably would need to change the narrative of the childhood story that you have about yourself and then you start to share it and allow yourself to have your feelings around it as you share it and you know being somebody who's done this work already it can be really surprising to find out that oh wait <laughs> That wasn't good, right? I mean, you you'll find this out. You'll and you'll be surprised that gee, all this time I thought that was just kind of normal, but now I look at it in from a different light and I say, wait, that's not good for children. And if you wonder about is that good for children, most of us know a child that we care about and love whether it's our own child or it's a niece or a nephew or next door neighbor. It's like you probably know a child in your life that you care about. And if you wonder, would that be abusive to a child, that thing that happened to me? Think about that same thing happening to that child and allow yourself to recognize the feelings that you would have about that. Okay, so if you see, I remember once I was in a laundromat many, many years ago, um, and I was in a laundromat, and I was waiting for my clothes, and this woman walked in, and with her little girl at the laundromat, little girl was probably four, three or four, and 
told her to sit in the chair while the laundry was being done. And, you know, I know a three-year-old. I've had one before. I was one before. And there is no way a three-year-old can sit in a chair that long. It's just not possible. And so every time the child would move, the mother would go over and shake her finger in her face and say, shame on you. You just can't seem to pay attention to what I say. What am I going to do with you? And and you could just see the child just getting smaller and smaller and her head would be bent down and she'd be, you know, you could just see it. You could just see it that that was so harmful to that child. And yet mother didn't hit her, you know, didn't touch her. Um, but noticing that, it's like I could feel the feelings of what that child must be going through. And, you know, it, it was a, I, I was aware of how really abusive that was. Whereas, you know, maybe before I started on my own journey, I might have looked at that and said to myself, well, you know, some parents just, you know, that's how they are. That's how they, they are with their kids. And as long as they're not beating them up or something, that's just not my business. It's their family business. I would never say that now. Never. And, you know, God bless you if you're the one that abuses a child in front of me now because you probably end up in jail or I will. Anyway, so the next thing, so that debriefing is that you're sharing it with others and you're having your feelings about it. Uh, the next thing you need to do is you need to dialogue about it. And and it's best to have this dialogue with a therapist that has understanding about how to do this kind of dialogue, right? So, so for instance, um, uh, let's say you're that little girl that was sitting in that laundromat and you're now a grown woman and you're starting to recognize that, geez, my mother was kind of verbally abusive and emotionally abusive and, you know, maybe a little bit. And you probably would say something like, yeah, there was this one time you know, it wasn't a big deal, but I, I kind of remember being in this laundromat and my mother wanted me to keep still because, you know, well, it's just me and my mom and she had all work to do. And I was just like, she let me go to the laundromat with her and she even let me get candy and she even let me get soda pop and, you know, and, you know, she had to work really, really hard because, <clears throat> she was supporting me and so we were at the laundromat and you know she was doing the best she could do and uh you know she I know she didn't mean to to bother me or hurt me in any way and and I really was a hard child to deal with I I really was sometimes I just got so wiggly that um that I you know I can see why she would have wanted me to uh be more more still in the chair. And, and there was a woman there who was looking at us. And, you know, I think that bothered my mom too. And it really wasn't her business anyway. And so you see where I'm going with this? <laughs> this is what it sounds like when people start to dialogue about their trauma. Now, remember in the debrief, you're just telling people about it. Okay. People in 12 step programs have absolutely no business dialoguing about this. This is heavy duty 
therapeutic stuff, and it needs to be done with somebody that gets it, that understands how to do this. Okay, so the woman's going on and on, and a therapist would say something like, um, do you know any three-year-olds? Well, yeah, I have two kids, and one of them's like 12, and the other one's 10. So they were three once, right? right? Yeah, right, they were three once. Did you, do you remember what they were like when they were three? Give me an example. Like if you took them to the laundromat and told them to sit still when they were three years old, while you did the laundry, what do you think would happen? Well, obviously the woman would sit there and go, oh, that, (laughs) well, first of all, I don't think I'd take them to the laundromat because they're not going to be able to sit there for two hours. And if they are sitting there for two hours, I had better be bringing them something to do. I can bring them a coloring book and crayons. I can bring them cards. I can tell read stories to them. I'm going to have to do something. But to just think that they're going to sit there because I tell them to for, for two hours while I do laundry, yeah, it's probably not going to happen. And so when your mother was doing the best she could do, and I will give her that, I always do, Do you think that that was really your fault, that you were wiggling all around and that you had a lot going on and it was really hard for you to sit in that chair? Do you think that that made you somehow a bad girl? Because that's what kids think. I'm bad. I'm doing it wrong. Mom's mad. I'm bad. Say, no. I don't, well, I guess it would, wouldn't be a good idea to bring a three-year-old to the laundromat and expect them to sit there for two hours with nothing going on. Yeah. And you see the narrative that people build around that. Well, you know, she was, she was, you know, raising me and there was just me and her and she had to go to work. And, you know, this was her one of the days that she had off. And so she had to do laundry. And so you see how we build this up because kids want to protect their parents no matter what. They want to protect them. They want to make sure that you think that their parents are a-okay. And part of that is that, you know, children love their parents unconditionally. It just happens that way. And so, you know, see, it's kind of backwards a little bit because if parents love their kids unconditionally, they would be protecting them and thinking about what was best for the child. And, you know, if somebody challenged them about, you know, their kids moving around too much in the laundromat, the parent would say, Gosh, you know, it's like, I think my kid's doing okay. She's only three and she's moving around the laundromat because the laundromat's a hard place to be if you're three. And so, you know, you can like get used to it or come back later. But, you know, I mean, that might be a little bit confrontational, but, but you can see where the difference in the narrative would be one. I was the bad one, and here are all the reasons that my mom was the good one, which is how children think, good and bad. Or you could say, gee, I was just acting my age, and it really would have been great if my mother could have acted her age by acknowledging who I was as a three-year-old and knowing that I would need more than to just try and sit for two hours in a laundromat. You see, 
We're not blaming mother. We're not like calling her names. We're not going to sue her. We're not going to do anything. In this dialogue, the only thing we're doing is that we are correcting the nature of the, of the narrative. All right. To make it more in line with reality. Now, if anybody wants to challenge me about forcing a three-year-old to sit still for two hours in a laundromat, go have at it. I can't, I don't think it can be done. So that would be pretty much factual that children are going to, you know, run around and get goofy and, you know, cause problems for the people in the laundromat if they're not entertained or left home or not left home by themselves. But it's like, Maybe the neighbor could take, you know, could help me out or, you know, but if I have to do it, I got to be able to, to uh, entertain the child so that the child doesn't go crazy and drive everyone else half nuts while they're at it. So the therapist, it has to be directed. The therapist has to think big picture all the time at the same time while correcting the nature of the narrative. And supporting the person's reality. Because, you know, the last thing you want to say is, oh, that's all screwed up. That thing, that idea that you have about sitting in the laundromat for two, that's all screwed up. You know, you, that's not useful to va- to put a value judgment on it. It's also not useful to say it's good and bad and right and wrong. and everything. It's like, how about we look at it this way? You're three years old. Your mom is, you know, single mom, working. This is her day to do laundry. Can't find anyone else to help. So you're with her. What could she have done differently? Not what could you have done differently. You're three. And the only thing you can do when you're three is act three. That's all you can do. So when you say, what could your mother have done differently? That kind of opens it up a little bit to say, well, I guess she could have brought my coloring book and crayons because, you know, I really liked the color when I was young. Well, that would have been a good idea. Did you have any books? Yeah, I liked my books. I liked it when my mom read. Yeah, okay. Well, she could have done that. And if those things would have happened, do you think that that situation where you were feeling like you wish you could disappear and crawl off into the corner because you were such a bad girl, do you think that might have changed? Well, Absolutely. Because A, you weren't a bad girl. You didn't need to crawl off into a corner. And you didn't do anything wrong. See, nobody was doing anything wrong. There were just ways that you can see that, yeah, that was a little bit traumatic. And I felt afraid. Yes, you did. I felt afraid. Not me. That didn't happen to me. But like when a woman is talking to me about this or a man, I'd be saying, geez, you must have been really afraid. Well, yeah, kids are afraid when they're in situations like that. And they feel ashamed, terrible shame. It's like that feeling of I'm bad is called shame. I'm a bad girl. I should have behaved. Well, you only acted three. That's all you can ever ask of a three-year-old. Or you only acted five. That's all you could ask of a five-year-old. So, you know, again, what I want to say about this dialoguing is that it is best if you do it with a therapist who has knowledge of childhood trauma. 
Um, you know, of course there are, you know, people have different ways of helping, you know, different therapists have different ways of helping people deal with their trauma, but, um, their childhood trauma. But I think this is a very useful way because it brings it out of the closet, as it were, and lets it see the light of day. And when it sees the light of day and you look at it realistically from an adult perspective, you can see that, wait, I didn't do anything wrong there. I was just a little girl. I couldn't do anything else. Having that reality kind of lets, lets you off the hook a little bit. And then when you start to look at your other, the other parts of your childhood trauma and your narrative, it helps every time. Because here's a fact of life. Children act like children. Teenagers act like teenagers. That's just the facts of life. You can't expect anything else. And so when you're acting like a teenager and you are a teenager, you're just doing the best you can. When you're a child, you're acting like a child, and that's all you can do. If the grown-ups act like grown-ups, get their brains going before they open their mouths or do anything else, they can help the child. Every one of those experiences will be a learning opportunity for a child. And that's useful, parents for ch- parents and children. So, you know, I like I said before, I, I don't think the 12-step programs are the place for dialogue because they don't know. I mean, it takes years and years to, to get this kind of knowledge and be able to call it up and have it right in front of your brain, all those things going on at the same time. That is not something that's easy to do. It takes a lot of training. And believe me, it is not hand-holding. <laughs> it is not hand-holding. And some people say, well, you know, it's like you're just holding your hand through somebody. No, you're not doing that. It's a very complicated process. And then once you get that dialogue going and you start to recognize the facts of your life, which is, okay, well, you know, when I was 12, I, you know, I drank a quart of whiskey and got really sick and almost died. Um, But that didn't make me bad. It made me sick (laughs) and it made me confused and not understanding uh, what was going on. And uh, where were the parents? Oh, they were off doing this, that, and the other thing. Oh, okay. So you start to recognize that everything you did was age appropriate. Okay. Everything. Even if you did something really, really horrible, like, you know, maybe you crashed your car and, you know, caused people to get injured. You were still acting your age. You were probably doing what a teenager, teenage driver would do. That's what we try and protect teenage drivers and the rest of us who made it through our adolescence into adulthood. Um, so you start to recognize that those realities, you don't have to feel like a bad person. It's useful to go through and dialogue with somebody so that you can understand what was going on for you, what was going on with the family, what might have been going on with the parents, so that it makes sense. You know, and if you get someone who's good at this, 
it all makes sense. You you know, you might find yourself thinking, well, that makes sense. Well, that doesn't take a genius. Well, you know, if you get, if you got something really good at it, it is genius almost because it should make sense. This is not rocket science. This is sense. Making sense of what is real. The next thing is you do some feelings reduction work. And again, this is with a therapist. You don't just go out and do this on your own. Even if you have to, it would be good to at least have a therapist that understood what you're doing give you some direction. Now, the feelings reduction work is the process of sharing your history uh, with the people who have uh, abused you and giving them back their carried feelings. Okay. This doesn't mean that you're sitting with the people. You're not. They're off doing their thing. Mom and dad are off RVing around the country. It's irrelevant. You need to make them irrelevant in this process. So let's say, let's go back to the laundromat. That's a good one. So, so now the woman has dialogued, figured out, okay. This is what was going on. This is what happened. Here's, I was just three. I can certainly let myself off the hook. I didn't do anything wrong. My mother was frazzled. Yes, that's an excuse, but she was frazzled. She didn't do what she needed to do to take care of me. I ended up feeling like a bad girl and ashamed of being three. So I ask, well, so... If you're feeling ashamed, but now you know that you didn't do anything wrong because you're only three and you're acting three, who do you think that shame belongs to? I mean, what grown-up goes up to a three-year-old who's acting like a three-year-old and tells them that they should be ashamed of themselves? Wherever that finger started, that's where the shame belongs, whether it's real or not. Okay, I mean, like if there really was a finger sitting in your face, or sometimes you don't need the finger, you just get it. You you get that you're that you are being shamed. Whoever's doing that, it's their shame. So so what you would do is that you would you can say it out loud. You can say, This is what you did, and this is how I feel about it. So if I'm that little girl and now I'm that grown-up woman thinking about this, I would say, when you shook your finger in my face and told me I should be ashamed of myself because I was squinching around and moving around on my chair because I had to sit for two hours in a laundromat and I was only three. Um, so that's what, you, you know, it's like, that's what happened. How I felt about it then was I felt ashamed and embarrassed. And like a bad girl. And now when I look at that situation, I'm kind of angry about that. And I'm sad because I was just three. And when I think about that little three-year-old girl, I feel sad that she had to be in that situation. And so I'm going to let her off the hook and just imagine her in my mind being three without that. So you can be as creative as you want. Um, sometimes when people don't have access to, um, a therapist, sometimes it's useful to maybe write all that down. I mean, it's like in my book, you can do that. Um, uh, 
So you're writing down all the things that happened and who did it and how old you were and how you felt about it then and how you feel about it now. And those feelings about how I felt about it then, those are going to be the feelings that don't belong to you. It's like the shame doesn't belong to you. The fear belongs to you. But the shame, anytime there's shame in that category, it doesn't belong to you. Anytime there's guilt in that category, it doesn't belong to you. All right? So you just write all that down and get those feelings that don't belong to you. Just think about it. It's like, gee, now if I'm 12 and I'm drinking, you know, a half a pint of whiskey and I feel like I've done something really terrible, right? Shame on me. Where does that belong? Well, if I'm 12 and I'm in a situation where I'm drinking a half a pint of whiskey and I don't know what's going on, somebody else, like it might not be parents. Parents just might not know about it. But maybe it's the people who's who left their liquor cabinet unlocked with teenagers in the house. How about that? Yeah. So you can see that it doesn't need to be parents. You know, it does take a village. Or let's say you're on the gymnastics team, uh, the women's gymnastics team, with that freak show that sexually abused all of them. And all those girls are feeling like they're bad and shame on them and they shouldn't have done whatever it is that they thought they did to deserve this. Maybe they just thought, because they're kids. Like, oh, well, in order to be on the gymnastics team for the USA, I need to I need to let this guy do this. Or he's telling me that it's okay and it's necessary or whatever. All that shame belongs to that guy, right? Not to the parents. Parents probably didn't know about it. They thought they were doing the right thing, right? Or a teacher who humiliated you in front of the class because let's say your pants were unzipped and you didn't know it. Has that ever happened to anybody? So, you know, so so what you do when you make this list is that you be as thorough as you can. Don't leave anything out. Because you might think that, well, that was, you know, it's like, so what if they call me out on having my pants unzipped, right? Well, when you're in the seventh grade, and that happens in front of class, you feel like you might die right then. Okay? It's horrible. So you're not thinking about it from your adult perspective. Well, you know, who cares? You're thinking about it from when you were that age. That's why it's important to identify as close as you can as the age, what age you were. So you make the list. You have all those feelings about the way you felt then, and the shame and the guilt would never be yours. The fear might be yours. The pain might be yours. You might even feel some anger. That's, you know, sometimes if they're really raging at you, it's not yours. But sometimes you might feel some anger that it's happening to you. That would be yours. But the the shame and the guilt does not belong. Okay? You can't be responsible for behaving in a way that you aren't where where you aren't the age. So you can't behave, you can't be responsible for acting like an adult when you're only a kid, okay? That's just a fact of life. And after you get that list, 
I will, next time when we meet, I will tell you some of the clever ways that people have come up with and have shared with me over time on how to get rid of all that crap, even if you don't have a therapist. So I hope you'll stay tuned because next time I'm going to tell you some of those very clever things that people have come up with over, over the years. And, uh, remember that if you have any comments or concerns, you can email me at healingyourfamilylegacy at gmail.com and I will get back to you. So until then, take care. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Healing Your Family Legacy here on the Experience of the Soul podcast channel. This channel is made possible because of listeners just like you. If you would like to support the channel with your tax-deductible contribution on an ongoing basis or through a one-time gift, head over to experienceofthesoul.com slash support. Healing Your Family Legacy is copyright 2021, Dr. Donna Bevanly, all rights reserved. Our theme music is composed by Dave Croft and used with permission. The Experience of the Soul podcast channel is a production of 818 Studios.